In Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1, Solomon's writing, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the heaven during the few days of their lives. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil that I expended in doing it. And behold, All was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I think if most of us had that imaginary opportunity of the magic genie popping out of the lamp and said, I'll give you three wishes, most of us would probably request of the genie things that would make our life abundant and easier. I'm not even going to fault us for that. I think that's human nature. Uh, Thank God we're not limited to a genie, by the way. We have one greater than a genie and and a lamp. We have King Jesus who knows how to filter sometimes what would be our foolish requests and say, no, I'm not going to affirm that, but I am going to give you something better. As we think of Solomon, Solomon didn't have a genie, but he did have a life that seemed to have everything horizontally that any individual could ever want. And as we go through some of this today, I want to say a couple of statements by way of preface. I'm not against you having stuff. I have some stuff. I'm not against uh, living a life that has a certain measure of God's bounty and blessing on it because you'd be hard-pressed to show in Scripture where God has called all of His people to a vow of poverty. It's, if, if so, Abraham's really not the father of the faith because he was abundantly blessed. He had Barnabas in the New Testament that had all sorts of material blessing, and yes, he used it for the kingdom, but nowhere are we commanded to necessarily get rid of all of our stuff and live in poverty. By the way, a lot of people that live in poverty are devoid of spirituality. So poverty is not necessarily a recipe for making us super spiritual people. I believe that God blesses whom he blesses, and I believe that anyone that he blesses, he blesses you to be a blesser. In other words, you're a pass-through. You're a conduit, not a bowl. You, you, you don't get it and hold it. You, you get it and you pass it through. That's the, the best way to live. 
And Solomon is one who had it all. And so when it comes to stuff, material wealth, worldly pleasures, the attainments that so many of us are driven to accomplish things in our life, here's a guy who did all of that. And so if he's going to speak to it, that's the guy I want to listen to. It's interesting to me that he starts off listing all of these great things, and at the end of it, it's almost as if he's saying, yeah, it really wasn't worth living for. Uh, I know what country we're living in. I know all about the American dream, and I know that some of us have been trained since diapers to go and get more, and very few of us slow down and say, okay, if I get more, why? For what purpose? And so this morning with a A little bit of a sobered heart, I'm going to invite you to enjoy what God brings you in life, but to stop living for it, to say goodbye to substitutes, because what beats in your heart is a hungering for eternity, and no amount of time on earth, no degree of money, no depth of physical pleasure And no accumulation of goods here on earth will ever satisfy that pulse in your spirit that cries out for God. Solomon in verses 1 and 2 is going to share with us some statements, and I call this the logic of the earthly man. I want to say three things about earthly logic. The logic of the earthly man is, first of all, rooted in error. Look at the beginning of verse number one, as Solomon tells us about a test that he actually committed himself to. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Now, this is important. What Solomon seems to be indicating here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is that he made a conscious decision to find out if he could be inwardly satisfied with temporal pleasures. It is, in essence, Solomon unveiling that he had made a commitment to an experiment where he would say, I am going to go after every type of pleasure that might be afforded a human being, and I'm going to see if that satisfies me. And so what we are reading here is not somebody musing from a, a seminary classroom. This is a guy who went into a personal intentional experiment to find out, can these things satisfy Can wisdom satisfy? That's dealt with in the book of Ecclesiastes. Can women satisfy for the men? That's dealt with in in the book of Ecclesiastes. Can wine satisfy? Can any of these things satisfy me? And today he's going to give us some of them. But the, the point that I'm making here in the very beginning is this. The logic of earth says if you can just continue to find ways to please yourself, or by, by whatever means, and he's going to list many, you're going to find satisfaction in life, and it never happens. The people that have the most that I know that are outside of the economy of God, outside of the body of Christ, uh, the more they have, the more miserable they appear to us. We see it on our television screens. We read about it on websites. We, we, we interact with these people. Many of us have met people that have everything that life can offer, except they can't sleep at night. They can't rest in their soul. They they fear death. They fear losing a penny, a dollar, a million dollars because their life is rooted in this temporary erroneous system. And so Solomon says, I see people all around me. The wisdom of the ages has not really changed. It's just changed its flavor. But he says, I see it all around me. I'm going to see if I can indulge myself and come out the back end satisfied. Well, let's go further. At the end of verse number one, 
He gives us the answer before telling us what the experiment was like. It's, I love this. He's a straight-to-the-point guy. It's rooted in error, and it's incapable of satisfying. He says, behold, it was vanity. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that the word, especially in the, some of the older uh, translations, the word vanity is used. What does that mean? When we think of vanity, we think of somebody that thinks they're all that. Nobody says that anymore, do they? But somebody that's really into themselves, they're vain. But it's more than that. Vanity, when you're reading it in uh, this translation of the Hebrew word, indicates really a breath or a wind. It is, um, in essence, that which materializes and then fades away. It looks very real and very solid when you're pursuing it, and then when you reach out to grab it, it's gone. That's the expression, what the expression is conveying here. And Solomon is about to tell us that the end of his experiment concluded with him saying, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all a game. None of it has substance to it. Well, so we're going to go further into it because you say, Jeff, what's the big deal? Can't we have both? Well, I'm going to let Solomon answer that today. But I want to tell you this, those that are pursuing pleasure, attainment, Um, whether it's physical pleasure or circumstantial pleasure, ease and comfort, when you spend your life pursuing those things, verse number two tells us something, that it's spiritually frustrating. I'm preaching to, to Christians. My primary audience this morning are those of you that have been called out of the lesser life and into the kingdom life. You've been propelled out of darkness and into light. You've been translated from death into life. You are no longer primarily a citizen of this temporary world, but you're a citizen of an everlasting and a climaxing kingdom. So you're my main audience, and this is what he says in the spiritual frustration. He goes to something that would seem very pleasant and very pure. He said, a set of laughter, it's insane. It's maddening. And pleasure, what use is it? Now listen, these are his conclusions. We haven't gone on the journey with him yet, but he's saying even something like laughter, he says when the laughter fades, you've got to find something else to bring you that pleasure. He's not talking about carnal laughter or sinister laughter. He's talking about just good-humored laughter, pleasure, that, that lightness of being. And, he, and, and we've all experienced it. Have you ever been in, in a conversation where there's just this great flow of, of joy and connection and movement and where you're laughing? Maybe you're sharing a meal together with a group of people that you do life with, and there, there's loud laughter, and then there's this lull that comes in. And we all feel the pressure to bring up something that can meet that last maximum level where everybody was engaged. But eventually, people start looking at their watches and it's time to go home. But but Solomon is expanding that. He says, life can be like that. You keep trying to hit these peaks. You keep trying to have that next pleasure or to regain or maintain the pleasure of the past. And he's saying it'll drive you crazy. And then he says of pleasure, he says, what use is it? Now, that's huge because who doesn't want to have pleasure in life? Not all pleasure is evil and sinister and wrong. There are some lawful pleasures. But Solomon is teaching us here, yeah, but when you begin to make that the point of your life, it's going to frustrate your spirit. So, where did he go? What did he do? Well, he's going to list it out for us, and this is kind of PG-13 stuff, but I know we have some little ones in the room, so I'm going to do my very best to where parents don't have to ask, uh, answer awkward questions on the car ride home. But look with me in, in verse number 3 and down through verse 10, and we're going to talk about the pursuits of the empty man. It is amazing to me that we're talking about centuries, multiple centuries between you, me, and Solomon, and yet nothing's changed. This is the same stuff 
that I used to chase before my conversion in 1994. It's the same stuff that people spent the weekend this weekend chasing, and they're going to be chasing it until there's nothing left to chase. What am I talking about? These pursuits of the empty man. Let's just start where your Bible starts. This is good. This will maybe make some of you mad, but let's look at it. Verse number three. I searched with my heart. Now remember, there's the intentionality again. Remember, he's in an experiment. He said, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Now watch this. He adds the footnote, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, I wasn't in some addictive, carnal, out-of-my-mind season. He's intentionally saying, I wonder if I can drink myself over a period of time into a lightness of being. It is a medication, self-medicating. He's saying, I I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine and how to lay hold on folly. Now that takes it up a notch. He seems to be indicating, I even crossed the line. Remember, this is not an unbeliever. Solomon is a man who has had encounter with God. Yet Solomon is a man who has begun to slip in his later years. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. And he says, but I not only just had the the, the proverbial glass of wine before bedtime. He said, you know, I broke out the Boone's Farm. I drank the whole bottle. I, I, I threw back on some tequila. I, I, I downed me a 12-pack in front of the chariot races on a Saturday just to see if it might bring something to me. Now, I'm trying to contextualize all this stuff so we don't pretend this is up in the clouds somewhere. Solomon is saying, yeah, I just wanted to see if that could satisfy me. Now, let's just stop for a moment. It's amazing to me what believers will do when they stop being satisfied in God. To where literally, when when we're bored with God, which is the clear signal in a person's life that trouble's coming their way. When Christians get bored with God, Sunday they'll go through it, they enjoy the moment, but they are ready to go because really what they're pursuing is outside of this building, and it's really outside of God because God has become boring. Solomon had had intense encounters with the Lord, but here he is later on in life, and and he is searching for something beyond God to satisfy him. And he wants to to detach. He wants to disengage. He wants to get high. So he, he pulls out unlimited resources because he's the owner of many vineyards, and he writes here that he said, I, I sought it out in indulging myself with wine, to see if this would be the right way to live. Verse number four, because a lot of us can take the morally superior attitude over that foolish person that tries to get drunk and find peace. That's real big in our evangelical. Pity the poor fool that goes out and drink. I've never had a drop of alcohol touch my lips in my life. And we, we get really high and mighty. Well, you better buckle up because he's about to get where we all live here in a moment. Accomplishments. Verse number four, look at, look at the words here. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong. Look, I'm, I'm kind of a type A guy. We're, we're studying temperaments in our small, in our Elevate class, and I, I know the way God's wired me. I'm, I'm not real good just kind of hanging out and doing nothing. 
You know, I'm, uh, that, that gets old to me. I want to do something. I want to do something with my life. I want to do something with today. I want to do something with the next 30 minutes. I, I don't want to just kind of meander my way through life. That's just the way I'm wired. So I, I'm, I don't want you to think that I'm against accomplishments. I'm actually wanting to accomplish things in my life. But I, I think we need to recognize that there are some, some things that your life is worthy of accomplishing as a believer and some things that you can go after that just aren't worthy. And what Solomon was saying here is that he in this experiment, had looked around past and present, and he's saying, I've done all this stuff. I mean, listen, we're talking about him millennia later. He made a name for himself. I mean, Solomon's temple, it was the most majestic edifice that could have existed in that time to where people came from all over the known world at that time just to come and look at Solomon's temple and to see him in the splendor of his reign. You know, some uh, archaeologists tell us that there are a series of pools outside of Bethlehem that are dated back to the time of Solomon, and they're constructed in such a way that it blows the mind of modern-day engineers saying, how did they do this? And some of them holding up to 40 million gallons of water were they to be filled again. Some would say this is what he's referring to. Now, I wasn't there. I don't know if that's the exact ones, but I do know a man with unlimited wealth who has a, a zeal and desire to accomplish stuff could take great satisfaction stepping back and seeing all the workers that he hired. And it's very politically incorrect, but in, the, in that day, of course, slaves were employed and all the slaves that he owned. And he, all he did was get with some, some, some guys and he, he says, this is what I want. You draw up the blueprints, you make it happen. And all Solomon has to do is put a hard hat on and walk to job site. And every day he's seeing other people make his vision happen. And it brings a sense of accomplishment. It brings a sense of value. I am somebody because of what I'm doing. That's what he seems to be saying. Uh, I, I believe in the inspiration of the original manuscripts. I believe that the Word of God comes from God, and I believe that God is revealing the heart of Solomon on purpose here when we see repeatedly, I, 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 myself, myself, myself. It speaks very subtly, but I think it speaks to you and me about trying to get things and do things and accomplish things, and it all, if you follow the, the thread, it all comes right back to, it's about me. Accomplishments are good. We need people to accomplish things in the kingdom of God, but I wonder if too many people that were born and then born again to accomplish great things in the kingdom that will have an eternal lasting value aren't saying goodbye to substitutes. They're giving their best of their accomplishing ability to pools that archaeologists will talk about in a long time but have no lasting impact on the kingdom, to gardens that will die a hundred times over season by season by season but won't bring any lasting fruit. Solomon was a man who lived at this season at the very least saying, maybe if I just keep doing more and accomplishing more, maybe then I will find that pleasure that brings my heart satisfaction. Possessions are closely tied to the next couple of things. Look in verse number 7. Please understand the, the time in which Solomon was writing. He says, I bought male and female slaves, and the slaves were, who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. So he's comparing himself to others, by the way, other accomplishing people. Verse number 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. And he said, I got singers and men and women. Let's, let's just walk through this. Okay, so he's, he's doing a lot of stuff, but he's also getting a lot of stuff. 
And this is what he is saying his, his life was about during this season. Now he's looking back on it, and, he's, and remember he's already told us, yeah, none of this really did it for me spiritually. He's already told us the end result, so don't think that he did it wrongly. He did it exactly as any human being with his, his resources could have done it. He actually went after it, and he, he hit that nail on the head over and over again. The problem was is it wasn't holding up anything worthwhile. And so he, he says here about the slaves, and, and of course, knowing the heart of Solomon, this wasn't like the blight in American history, the single worst part of American history is the enslavement of Africans brought over beginning in the 1600s. That's, this is, it, it's different. This would have been indentured servants, people that were either indebted to the king or people that made themselves servants that said, I will become your servant. And Solomon would in turn provide for their housing, provide for their meals, provide for their well-being. It wasn't like Pharaoh cracking the whip on the Israelites in ancient uh, Egypt. Nonetheless, they did forego their freedom. They all belonged to Solomon, and as they were cohabitating, more slaves, the children of slaves, were born into his house. So this work base, this un I mean, unlimited resources of manpower, Solomon, in essence, if you really wanted to pretty it up a little bit, Solomon could say, I can't even count how many employees I have to do the work that I want to do. He said, I had herds and flocks. That's just money, cha-ching. I mean, that's just money and food, by the way. Growing and growing and growing, massive amounts of possessions multiplied and multiplied. And then he adds this little note, man, if this isn't, I mean, listen, this is right in our hearts. Solomon, the great achiever, the great accomplisher, the man with power, the energized, focused, I'm going to tackle the world and I'm going to dominate it kind of guy, the guy who's wine-bibbing at night and seeing if that works, he comes to the place and he, and he does a quick scan around. He's, he's been talking about himself the whole time, but then he does throw in a word about the other people, and, and yet he puts them in a lower position. He goes, yeah, I, I actually beat all these other guys. You know, chest thumping, you know, hey, you know, they're doing pretty good, but <clears throat> have you seen my portfolio? Have you seen my resume? Have you, have you checked my earnings this year? And he says, more than anybody that ever went before me. Well, how did he know that? Because he found out. Because it was important to him to win. To not only keep up with the Joneses, but to move the Joneses out of the neighborhood and commandeer their house. That's the heartbeat that can get inside of us. We're not talking about a pagan. We're not talking about some you know, agnostic or atheist that, that only could pursue pleasure for any hope of, of, of fulfillment. We're talking about a man who had met God, a man that had been granted wisdom from God. How many of you understand this? Just because you have knowledge of God doesn't mean you're obeying it wisely. Solomon had all this wisdom and knowledge, but he was living independently from it during this season. And, and, and then he says this, he said, I, I got more gold and more silver. silver. He said, I got it any way you could from other provinces as, as tribute to him and other kings that would pay honor to him. And, and so money, 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 he had, it, he had it all. Now let me just ask you something, child of God. Hmm, how do I want to ask it so it doesn't come off like an accusation? Could you handle that? Could you handle all that money? Could you handle that unrestrained success, could you handle the accomplishments, achievements? I mean, I can't read one word in here about anything coming against him. It's, it's, it's flowing. It's, it's kind of what we all think we want. It's kind of what we all dream about. 
It's kind of when we see the, you know, the blue-collar worker from Hershey, Pennsylvania that wins the $800 million lottery, and we're thinking, I'm going to buy two tickets next week. Maybe I'm going to get in on that. <laughs> you ought to thank God you haven't won yet. You ought to thank God. You know why? It would probably wreck you. Solomon was actually wrecked in his success. And by the way, if he hadn't told us, I don't think we would have ever known it. He's saying, you guys see what's on the outside, but under the inspiration of God, let me show you what was going on in my heart, and it was all vanity. It was all empty. So we get down into the PG-13 beginning of verse number 8. He said, I had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. I believe Solomon had lost his mind. He said, Jeff, how do you know? Because he had a thousand wives and concubines. He's got to be crazy. He's crazy. A, a thousand wives and concubines. What in the world? I don't even know what to say. But notice what he says. He says, these women, this is what men delight in. I'm going to talk to the young men in here, maybe not the not-so-young men, and why avoid the subject? Because we live in a pornographic culture. We live in a hypersensualized generation. It's not just for the men because what's happened is over the last 40 years because men are addicted to the lustful portrayal of women, and now empty-hearted women are saying, well, if that's what they want, I've got to be that kind of woman. So they'll change their looks, and they'll engage in activity. And, and so you've got this longing and lusting man who wants physical pleasure, meeting the heart of an empty young woman who just wants some kind of affirmation. And so when his lust meets her need, there's this toxic moment and sometimes those moments are played out over and over again. And it's why we have a generation of, of fatherless children, and we have an ongoing uh, issue with all sorts of sexually transmitted diseases, and we have, even within the church, uh, the pandemic of, of, of pornography that is just ruining men who mother, might otherwise in those moments be so spirit-filled and so full of the power of God, and yet they're, they're, they're living on substitutes. And so, while I want to um, affirm the beauty of sexual intimacy within the context of marriage, because that was God's idea, yeah. not Larry Flint. That's right. It was God's idea. And so, sexual intimacy is a beautiful thing within the bounds of marriage. And, and I, I will say this. If you're living in a burning lust, the Bible says it's better to go on and get married than to burn and if you don't want to marry the person that you're engaging in that activity with or about to, you need to separate and draw some lines and bring in some protection over your testimony. Say, so Jeff, you sound old-fashioned. Ah, eh, just as old-fashioned as the Bible. Uh, sexual intimacy is... Solomon, and remember what he said, he said he did this on purpose. Man, he was determined. I mean, a thousand? And uh, remember what he said. He said, yeah, it actually didn't satisfy me. A sexual conquest and uh, a sexualized generation, um, I, just a very quick word. I mean, listen, I, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm trying to exegete the text, but also I'm a pastor who really cares about people. 
pray really hard, wait on the right one, and when you find him or her and you get married, have fun. Have fun. The marriage bed is undefiled. And if the church will eventually come out of the puritanical, we can't talk about this because we're in church, um, the reason why our kids are diving off the deep end is because they're learning about sexuality from their schools and from their peers and from the media. Because the church is sitting here trying to be prim and proper and we're trying to be Puritans about it. Listen, I, I want to tell my 11-year-old prepubescent son, I want to tell him all about sex. I want him to hear it from dad. We talk to our, our daughter about it. We, we want them to have that privilege of stepping up to the wedding altar with their purity. And, and if that doesn't happen, we, we want to be compassionate and we want to reason with them that the only blessing that God places upon our sexuality is that marital union between a male and a female who become husband and wife. And Solomon said, um, guys, if anybody should know it doesn't satisfy, it should be me, Solomon, because I had a thousand women or more and I never found what I was looking for. Prestige, verse number nine. He sums it all up. So I became great. I, I, listen, give, give the guys some credit. He set out to become great, and he did it. I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. He's just said it again. And my wisdom remained with me. In other words, he didn't lose his mind. He did all of this in the context of knowing God's wisdom, but seeing, testing, experimenting, if Solomon might become the exception to God's wisdom. In other words, can I have God's wisdom? But can I find a loophole in the divine plan to where I am the only one who can find satisfaction outside of the plan of God? It's pretty bold. And yet what's, what's crazy is it happens all the time now. We're just not as honest about it as Solomon. So we come in and we, we, we medicate on our, our Sundays and our Wednesdays and our Bible studies and our home groups and we, we get our dose of our, our spiritual slash religious medicine and then we bust out the gate and we go out into the world thinking, now, if only I can be satisfied, I got my religious fix, now let me go out and find out what was, was really going to satisfy my heart. And so we pursue it in relationships, and we pursue it in money, and we pursue it in accomplishments. And again, none of those things are bad. The problem is that they're, they're wrongly ordered in our priority list, and our motivations go unchecked when we pursue them. I would like for God, if he thinks it's wise, to entrust re, trust me with millions of dollars. I, there, I went on the record. I would love it. I would absolutely love it. He has never entrusted me with that. I, I have a, a sneaking suspicion why. I probably wouldn't use it for his glory. But if he ever does, by the way, if he can't trust you with $12,000 a year and you're not being faithful with that, you can forget the million. Some people say, if I ever hit the lotto, I'm going to give it to my church. <laughs> He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful in that which is much. He that is unfaithful in that which is least will be unfaithful in that which is much. And Jesus was talking about money when he said that. Yeah, I messed y'all all up on that one. Amen. <laughs> Solomon said, so I became great. Nobody could touch me, verse 9. Nobody was in my classification group. Prestige. Wise, rich, powerful, had it all. Verse number 10, consumerism. He not only got, he spent with no restraint. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. You know those thousand wives love that part about him. <laughs> Solomon, can I go shopping? <laughs> I kept my heart from no pleasure. 
Wow, that's a huge statement. If it felt good, he did it. If he thought it might feel good, he went after it. That's his testimony. I'm not making this up. That's what he said. He said, if I saw it and I wanted it, it became mine. He said, if I thought it would please me, I just went after it. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. Don't miss that. He does ascribe to this test, this experiment, that there were moments where it did please him. There is pleasure in sin for a season. And so we'd be wrong to look at people and say, no, don't engage in, 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 in sexual promiscuity. It feels horrible. You can't tell your kids that. Don't tell them it feels horrible. Don't ever get drunk. Don't ever engage in anything that alters the senses because there's never, ever going to be any pleasure in that. Listen, I, I was a, a drug abuser and a drunk from age 14 to age 24, and all those, they were miserable years of my life. I'm going to tell you, I had some highs that I, I can't tell you about. <laughs> and in those moments, it feels good. But the problem is that what, what fosters those moments is temporary. And when it fades, so does everything it brought you. So when you're chasing these substitutes, the problem is, is you're going to an inferior source expecting a superior result. Somebody write that down and tweet that, man. That, I need that one. That was pure Holy Spirit. I can't take credit for that one. Solomon never said no to himself, and nobody else would say it to him unaccountable, unlimited, unrestrained, Solomon walked through the door because he was sure, like millions of other people, if nothing holds me back from what I want, I'm going to be happy. And the problem was is he wanted things that God never wanted for him, and he found himself empty. So verse number 11, the conclusions of the enlightened man Here's the evaluation of what he had done, verse number 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. He just did an inventory, and I just want to encourage you. You need to also. Whether you're 15, 25, 45, or 75, you need to do an inventory now. Maybe not in this second, but in this season. What are you doing with your life? What is your life doing with you? What are you pursuing and are you getting it? And is what you're getting doing it for you? Or is it always, I love what Pastor Dustin says. He's, he, he speaks of a time in his life where he was thinking, it's always going to be around the next corner. And then eventually he realized he's just in a circle. <laughs> to me, that's profound. It explains, uh, it summarizes so much of, of how people are living their lives. He said, um, I took the time and considered it. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe it's your investments. The devil doesn't have to walk in, you know, with a 12-pack of Budweiser and two models in bikinis to get you off track, sir. He doesn't. All he's got to tell you is just keep sacrificing the best things until you get the good things. And once you get the good things, then you can pursue the best things. And you never will. Because the pursuit of good things at the expense of the best things will train your flesh 
to never be satisfied in God. And I'm going to tell you, I do believe it, it, it is epidemic in the church that men and women, and we name the name of Jesus, and we're all susceptible to just live for substitutes and dabble in Jesus on the weekends. And so Solomon is saying, I, I took the time to evaluate it. Now, here's the importance of what he learned. In verse 11, he says, behold, now he's talking to us. When you see the word behold in your Bible, you just need to make a mental note that, that's calling you to slow down and make note of what, about, what is about to be said. It was important to Solomon for other people to know what he had learned. So he's about to tell us what he learned. This is the way I read my Bible. So Solomon's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the pursuit of pleasure with the potential to satisfy the innermost longings of the human heart. And he's saying, yeah, I got drunk, I had women, I had a ton of money, I had a lot of success, I was more well-known and more prestigious than anybody around. And he's about to tell us his conclusion. He says, now I'm about to tell you what I concluded. Now we already know it because he said it in verse 2, but he's going to say it again. I'm about to tell you what my conclusion was, so you need to listen to this. So he wants our attention. He doesn't want us to make the same mistake that he made. He doesn't want us to get into this stupid experiment because he's already done all the hard work for us. And he's saying, just learn from me. I already went there. You don't have to go there. So behold this. And that's verse 12, or the end of verse 11. Here's the summary about his substitutes. All of it was vanity and a striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained, in, in essence, nothing to be gained from this under the sun. So Jeff's been drinking wine. What is he doing? <laughs> Just watch. I'm going to get money. It's going to make me happy. In a minute now. Hold on a second. I'm sure I can do it. Theoretically speaking, I mean no dishonor. Women, it's all about women. I, I, if I can just have sexual satisfaction. Okay, wait a minute now, because that's all wrong. That's immoral stuff. I'm going to be successful. I, I think if I can be successful, yeah, that's what it is. I'm, I want to leave a legacy. I want to make a name for myself. So, yeah, no. Man, come on, this is getting frustrating. I know I can do this. You get that, right? I don't want you to live that way. Because while it's floating past you, you're sure you can lay hold of it. And you're sure when you do, you can put it in your pocket. And as soon as you reach out to grab it, it's gone. And it happens that way to so many people. There's a lot of good stuff that this world can offer you, a lot of good stuff. I don't have to deceive you to tell you everything in the world is evil, rotten, dissatisfying, bad, and horrible. Come on, you're smarter than that. What I am going to say for those of you that have committed your life to Christ and have crossed the threshold into discipleship and you were born the second time for eternity, what I am going to tell you is this. Don't go chasing bubbles. You're made for so much better. And when we lay hold onto that which is eternal life, I'm going to preach that in a couple of weeks. When you lay hold onto who He is, who He has made you, 
and you recognize what he has given you and you praise him for it and then you're able to recognize what he has withheld from you and you're still able to praise him for it. You won't be following in Solomon's substitutionary experiment. You'll say, why would I settle for bubbles when I have a king on a throne who gives me all things richly to enjoy? Would you stand to your feet this morning? Worship team, could you come? I know the hour is a, a little bit late, but um, <clears throat> I, I think <clears throat> some of these thresholds and these messages, and this is saying goodbye to substitutes, the Lord is actually asking some of us to go ahead and step over it by faith. I, I cannot know what that looks like for you. I, I'm so unqualified to be the Holy Spirit in your life. I mean, you need to know that. And this is not about condemnation or guilt. This is about surrender. Surrendering what you have and surrendering maybe your pursuit of things that you weren't meant to have. Maybe you're not supposed to be the guy who looks around and says, like Solomon, hey, I'm better than everybody. I've done better than everybody. Maybe you're not supposed to be the best. Maybe you're supposed to be faithful and content and really good at the thing God made you for. But you can't do that chasing substitutes. We're not in competition with the world. We've already won. Now let me say it again. We're not in competition with the world. We've already won. There's nothing down here that is going to endure forever except man and God's Word. So if we can take the resources we have, the desires we have, the impulses, the accomplishments, the gifts, the abilities, there's nothing wrong with those things per se. It is when they become your purpose that they taunt you because you, you max out at this level and you look around because at this level you thought if you could ever make it to this level you'd be happy. And now that you're here you're thinking, oh, silly me, it must be at this level. And then when you get to that level, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't see it. It's actually that level. It's always next. And meanwhile, you never meet God in the present moment. He's always out there on the future where you fooled yourself into thinking, when I'm happy and content with all that I've done and all that I have and all that I've experienced, there God's going to meet me. He's going to give me a high five because I finally made it. And he's not there. He's right here with you now saying, I don't need you to be the best. You don't need all this stuff that everybody's lying to you saying you need. If you'll let me come near you, I'm going to lead you across the threshold of substitutes.